Hey, 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 Chris Howard here. Welcome to AfterBuzz TV, and we're about to rock it, knock it out of the ballpark with two episodes of The Prophet. Let's do it. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, AfterBuzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Yes, welcome once again to AfterBuzz TV with The Prophet. I'm Chris Howard, your host. You can reach out to me during this episode at and after the episode at Chris Howard Live on both uh, Twitter as well as Instagram. You can also find me at LegendaryLivingDaily.com for tips and business stuff, all sorts of fun stuff. That's at LegendaryLivingDaily.com uh, as well as LegendaryLivingTV.com for YouTube. Uh, but this isn't about me, this is all about you. So welcome, I'm so happy to have you here. We've I'm alone on the panel today, and uh, my other co-hosts are out and about and doing things of, of grave importance for our planet. So I'm here to deliver uh, this after show breakdown all by myself, but it's uh, a pleasure to be here with you once again. And today we had a couple of great episodes, right? So we're looking at uh, Farm Girl Flowers uh, was the first episode that we're looking at. And then we're going to look at uh, Trouble in Paradise. We had uh, uh, an after show recap of one of the businesses that we were looking at previously. So we're going to uh, get down and get dirty with these uh, and have some fun. So let's, let's start right out with uh, Farm Girl Flowers. So Marcus Limonis, as always, comes in to turn uh, to turn the business around. And as we're beginning to uh, realize that there, there's a formula to these episodes. So uh, Marcus comes in and he does he starts with his due diligence and uh, which anyone should do in terms of uh, taking the first steps and making sure you're discovering the right information and evaluating the business, whether you want to be a part of it or not. And one of the things that I like to do when we look at these episodes is to look at it from the perspective of what is there to learn from the episode, not just uh, how can we be entertained. And certainly the, the episodes are entertaining. There's no doubt about that. Uh, once again, it's one of my absolute favorite shows on TV. Uh, I like what the episode's about. I also like the uh, that through the entertainment value, we're also able to glean insights and learnings and understandings about how to run a business and how to run a business effectively. And if you know me, if you've seen this before, if you haven't, go back and watch all the ones we've done. <laughs> but if you know me, uh, I like to uh, I like to empower people in this day and age when we have more and more people that are launching businesses than ever before. You know, uh, that they took a poll recently here in the United States and they found that um, most of the people who were polled thought that many jobs that are currently out there in the marketplace are going to be automated uh, in within the next 20 years or so. But of the people that were polled, they said that about, uh, they asked people, do you think your job will be automated? Most of them were in complete denial and said, no, I don't believe that. Uh, but they were all jobs that other people had said would be in fact automated. So. With you know outsourcing, downsizing, and, and also ever increasing opportunities with the internet, you can build a business for nothing. We see more and more people looking to take their destinies into their own hands, and I think it shows like this, like the profit uh, that can deliver the learnings that you and I need to get in order to be really uh, powerful in our own right and go out and and, and claim the futures that we deserve. So, uh, in this particular episode, we'll look at it from that perspective. And so, as uh, as Marcus comes into this, it's a flower. Uh, uh, it's an online flower 
uh, boutique, if you will, right? Because they're processing the orders online, they're pulling the orders together offline, and then delivering those those orders. Um, as the company had started, they started primarily in a more concentrated area, and then they went more widespread with delivery uh, going all across the United States, uh, and of course, shipping costs that were involved there too. And we'll, we'll take a look at that in just a little bit. Um, but the formulaic approach that Marcus is rolling out, and that was one of the things as Marcus got into this, he said, boy, I don't know if I want to have my secrets to turning businesses around be out there in the public. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he's doing he's doing a whole lot of good in the process. I, I, I do jujitsu and I train with a man by the name of Horian Gracie. And one of the things that Horian said was uh, and Horian was the guy he was the, the, the uh, mind behind the ultimate fighting championship when that first launched. And uh, he said, a lot of people came and asked me, Chris, uh, he's a Brazilian guy, so he said, hey, Chris, a lot of people, they come and ask me, you know, my Brazilian, that's the best I can do. A lot of people come and ask me, why do you want to share your secrets with the world? He says, what if somebody comes and uses these techniques against you? And he said, and Chris, I could have held those secrets back. He said, I put my brother Hoyce in to go in and fight and show the world the power of jujitsu. He said, but... It's, it's what I have to do. And people say, but what if they use those techniques against you? He said, but that's like if you get dropped in the desert and you know you've got some water, there's some water there and somebody else is dying of thirst, you wanna share that water with them, Chris? Who's to say that they might not come back and stab you with a knife and take all the water afterwards? He says, it's, it's my duty to share the water, Chris. And so I'm sharing the water. And so he shared the water with the world. They created the Ultimate Fighting Championship. In this same vein, I look at the prophet, and Marcus is sharing the water with the world. So I gave, uh, so kudos to, kudos to Marcus. Uh, and, but it, we, he does have a formulaic approach. So as he comes in on this episode, he's looking at, in every episode, looking at the people, the product, and the process. Right, making sure that all those things are in line. And with each episode, he'll come in, and in this particular episode, he'll look at the people and the process and get a sense of the product, and then he'll go into the financials and, and find out how people are really doing, is the financials don't lie. Right, so here, he comes and he meets the woman that's running the business, and I'm gonna abbreviate this episode a little bit because the whole episode was abbreviated. And you'll find out why in a second. They had spliced in another episode with this episode that we're looking at. Uh, so the whole episode was abbreviated, uh, but it looked like it was going great up until a certain point. So woman that's running the flower shop, a nice enough woman. Uh, he comes in. The process looks pretty, uh, pretty together. Right, so they're they're uh, pulling together bundles of, of uh, flowers, and she's got people that are really happy to be working in there, which is unusual with a lot of what we see in some of these episodes. And if you haven't started watching The Prophet yet, if you're hitting us first for some reason, by all means, uh, go and watch The Prophet as well. It's on CNBC. You can find it on Hulu as well. You can find it on on different platforms. Um, I'm watching the past episodes on Hulu. That's how I'm catching up, uh, and we're actually catching up so that we'll be right on target uh, when the new show from CNBC launches, which is uh, The Partner, as Marcus is looking for somebody to manage all of the entities that he's pumped, get this, up until this point, he's pumped about 20, or uh, I wanted to say 23, I think it's 33 uh, million into various companies since the onset of the profit. So a lot like Shark Tank, except we get to see the, the actual turnarounds of the business. 
And so he goes in and he'll make the deals uh, with people and we get to see that. Um, the partner will be coming up uh, very, very soon. So that's uh, that's exciting. Uh, and we get to see people vie and compete for the ability to manage this portfolio of companies that Marcus has. Uh, but nonetheless, a little bit different to some of the other uh, companies that he's looked at, the people within this organization, within Farm Girl Flowers, was the first episode we're looking at. Within Farm Girl Flowers, the people are, they're happy, they got smiles on their faces, there's not a whole lot of people problems. I, in fact, I didn't see any people problems, except with the owner, and that's coming up. right? So the owner of the business, uh, nice enough lady, she's doing pretty darn well, they're turning, uh, if I, I, I jotted down the numbers here in 2011, they were at about 56K. 2012, it looked like 276. About four, uh, they're, they're on their way to 4.2 million, uh, or they were on their way in 2015. I mean, we're talking about a company that's rapidly growing and doing very, very well. Uh, from a process perspective, everybody had it together. It didn't look like a mess behind the scenes like a lot of these companies will look like at, at first. Uh, before Marcus gets his hands on them. The um, the biggest issue that uh, Marcus found here, so we, we, we had great product, the flowers. Oh, and one, one other thing that I'll point out that she had really working for her was she, and at first it would cause you to question, she had one bouquet of flowers that she was putting out and it was either on a weekly basis or a daily basis, but that was, you didn't get to choose. Like if you call 1-800-Flowers, you get to choose what type of flower arrangement you wanna have. Uh, with this, with Farm Girl Flowers, you don't have the choice. You call to order the bouquet that they have for that day. When I first heard that, I thought, wow, that's, is that gonna limit them in terms of uh, the other flowers that are out there, in terms of the competition? But in reality, uh, what happens is just having that one choice of flower arrangement allows them to save considerably on uh, excess product, on product that's uh, being ordered yet never uh, making it out to the marketplace. Because as you imagine, uh, fresh flowers are only gonna live for so long. Uh, so she gets to cut the cost considerably. There's all sorts of other costs that get cut out as a result of that. And they're able to pass that savings on to the consumer so they can deliver the flowers at a, a vastly reduced rate in relationship to the competition and they can do something pretty cool. And if you're buying flowers for, you know, whether it's a holiday for Mother's Day or you're buying them for somebody's birthday or to honor somebody, uh, if you're anything like me, I mean, unless you're looking for roses, right? If you're, unless you're looking for roses specifically, uh, the the bouquet of the day would be just fine and you get a, a much greater price. The one thing that she did uh, vary on was she had different, there were different presentation uh, methods for the bouquet. So they could either be wrapped in, in paper and they had a unique paper. I think it was like newspaper, but it looked uh, like it was aged in some way or there was something special about it. Um, they had, uh, you could do it in a vase, you could do it in a number of different ways. So they, I think they had nine different presentation ways for presenting the flowers at different price points, but the flower arrangement, the bouquet itself was the same. Uh, and it, it, pretty sharp lady. So she was switched on from that point or from that perspective in terms of being able to uh, carve out a niche in the flower business that was different than anybody else out there was doing. So she had that going for her. And uh, the biggest issue was in the actual negotiations because as Marcus began to look at it, 
he found that there were a couple of issues that stood out that would we would look at as being red flags. The number one red flag uh, that was really obvious right from the beginning of the episode was she had brought up the point. She said, you know, I went out to go uh, to look for venture capital. And this uh, particular farm girl flowers happens to be in the Silicon Valley. Right. So she's used to high growth uh, tech companies uh, bringing in venture capital for growth. And, uh, you know, they're doing really well. They're growing at a steady, uh, steady pace. But what she said over and over again in this episode was that she kept falling on her face. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Kept falling on her face in terms of the uh, raising of capital because the VC companies weren't interested in working with her because she was a woman. So she had, you know, I've been a, a speaker for 20 years. I've uh, done personal development seminars for 20 years and people always bring their baggage, myself included, right? We all bring our baggage to the table in all of our affairs, whether they be personal affairs or whether they be business affairs. And she was clearly bringing her baggage to the table. It's like that backpack full of rocks that you carry around. And her thing was feeling like she wasn't gonna be accepted because she was a woman. She wasn't going to be uh, viewed in the same way as a man in terms of capital raises and she was looking at other competitors in the field seeing them raise 12 million 15 million in venture capital and passing her by because they're able to use those resources to expand and and so on uh, but she wasn't able to compete with them because you always know that somebody's being at the effect, we call it being at effect rather than being at cause, taking responsibility for things in our life, being at effect when you hear the word because, I can't do it because. And in this case, her, her uh, mantra had become, I, you know, I can't raise the capital because I'm a woman. If I was a man, they would, uh, they would be more forthcoming with uh, the investments that they would make. Uh, Marcus picked that up immediately. It wasn't hard to miss. Uh, because she kept saying it over and over and over again. And, you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll teach when I'm uh, teaching people and teaching courses is that, you know, beliefs are not true, right, or real. They're either useful or unuseful. And she had adopted this belief uh, that was an unuseful belief for her that she could not raise the capital because she was a woman. Hence the need to pick up the phone and call Marcus and say, hey, come in. But uh, what she really wanted was cash. She didn't want any of the other things that Marcus had to bring to the table. And if you're a fan of the prophet, as am I, you'll have uh, definitely come uh, to the understanding that Marcus can put in cash, but that's a fraction of the value that he brings to the table when he goes into a business to turn it around. Um, more than the cash, you know, the cash is going to maybe be able to buy out some debt, be able to pay off some things and, and, and perhaps improve the process. But ultimately, what he's going to bring to the table is going to come in the form of joint ventures, alliances, uh, other businesses that uh, he can uh, help the entrepreneur to, to partner with in order to get them a greater level of distribution once the process and the product is is solidified. So uh, she had a lot of things going for her, this big I'll call it a limiting belief in her way, but he found something else out as well. Uh, and when he began to look at her numbers, I think Marcus was getting excited here because he, he you know, in the, in the preliminary due diligence, everything in this business looked like it was ready to take off. She looked like she had a lot of things going. She was on the ball. When he started to look at the numbers, he found that in the accounting, 
she was uh, she was looking at the numbers without really uh, making a financial case for how well the business was actually doing. For example, Marcus was able to find 10% uh, that was a delivery fee that was added on and, and he moved it over to a different column. It showed that she wasn't making 38% uh, gross profit. It was actually a 48% gross profit. Uh, so with his uh, with his correct writing and manipulation, I'll say manipulation of the books, not in an illegal uh, Bernie Madoff way, but in a way that was accurate and true to facts, he could paint out, and this is where he was headed, he could paint out a much better case uh, if venture capital was gonna be brought in. He could paint out a much better case for how well the business was actually doing in relationship to what she had done with the books. Now, his goal was not to bring venture capital in. He was gonna replace the need for venture capital by uh, making a deal with her. But here's where we had the issue. So after doing his due diligence, after looking at the books, he sits down with her to make a deal, as often as always happens in these episodes. And here's where she blew it. So the business owner says right out the gate, I've got a couple of non-negotiables. Now, I have to tell you that uh, that's this is the first time that I've ever seen this with any of the people. And it doesn't mean it hasn't happened. It just didn't get edited in or whatever. But the very first time I ever saw anything like this happen uh, on one of Marcus's episodes. By the way, I do want to mention that if you don't have the iTunes uh, download of our show here at the Afterbus Show of The Profit, Please go to iTunes, get the uh, get the download so you can get this stuff intravenously fed, uh, and you can watch uh, all of the past episodes of The Prophet. We just started this show with episode three, and we're doing two episodes uh, per hour that we have here with you. Uh, but uh, you can catch up with us, and then you can move forward as we go into the next season. Um, in any case, iTunes, right? In any case, she sits down for this negotiation. Never seen this before, but she says, you know, I've got a couple of non-negotiables. And I know it kind of takes, uh, you know, hits Marcus and kind of takes him aback that she's starting a negotiation, starting uh, to sit down with somebody who's about to write her a check potentially by telling her the, the, the telling him right out the gate, I got some non-negotiables. And so she says, I don't want you buying my flowers in China, for example. Or, or no, actually, that was the example that Marcus used to just say how ridiculous it was. It would be to even start the conversation the way that she was starting. So she was beginning to take an aggressive stance in relationship with him. Even if she had some things that were important points for her, those things could be brought up within the conversation without doing it in an aggressive way, without drawing a line and saying, hey, you're not stepping across this line because right out the gate, that's gonna put somebody uh, in, in either an equal equally aggressive stance or some sort of a defensive stance, and that's not where she wants to be. She's hopefully looking for a partner, and that's why she's reached out to Marcus, although uh, after he makes that statement, he soon finds out that maybe that's not exactly what she wants. The next words out of her mouth are great. So then she says, what I'm gonna need is I'm gonna need 900,000 for the next 12 months, and then I'm gonna need uh, 5 million over the next three years. Uh, and I want that, and I wanna give you uh, for that for 5% of the company. 
So she throws out what she wants. It's interesting because I think it was Naina on last week's episode. She said, Chris, what do you think? Do you think it's a good idea? She said, I've heard sometimes that in negotiation, it's great for you to throw out your numbers or you want to wait for the other person to throw out their numbers. Well, in this case, this is a perfect example. She throws out her numbers, um, which are so way off target from where uh, an intelligent investor is going to come in because asking for what she was asking for was a, 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 a valuation of the company that would have been a $20 million valuation of her company. And it was nowhere near that. Right. In fact, when most investors look investing, they're going to go on the you know, they're going to go on the low end and they might do a multiple of net earnings a three or four time multiple of net earnings. That's usually not correct either from my perspective, because, you know, I kind of fit into both categories as an entrepreneur. Uh, there's obviously going to be an intrinsic value to what you've built up and it's going to continue to grow that will likely go way beyond a four time multiple of the profit of the net profit in the, in the current time. However, when we looked at this episode, the valuation that she had was so out in the clouds and nowhere near reality, uh, Marcus felt like he had to bring her back to, you know, kind of ground her in. Um, she, uh, so, so then they had the conversation. He says, your company is not worth anywhere near that. She made the case, she said, we're gonna be doubling our revenue anyway, whether I bring in money or not. And he's like, well, well then why did you need me? Right, and essentially it all boiled down to the fact that she wanted the money. She didn't want a partner. She didn't want somebody that was gonna come in and give ideas. She didn't want the contacts or the networks that he, uh, Marcus could help her create. And therein lies the true power of what he's bringing to the table. She didn't wanna give that up. She didn't wanna give up anything. She just wanted the cash. And you know, being willing to give up 5%, I don't know anybody that would want to invest, especially in a flower. And Marcus made this point as well. He said, if I was going to invest in a, she, he said, you're valuating your company like a tech startup. And most of these tech startups go no place. Their valuations are way overblown. Uh, and so you're doing it like that. He said, I bet if you weren't in the Silicon Valley, you wouldn't even be valuing anywhere near that. And uh, and I started as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, this is, I mean, this is her problem. It's not that she's a woman. It's that she's going in trying to, you know, beat people over the head uh, into thinking that she's, her company's worth 20 million. And if you don't agree with me, I'm gonna pound you in the head with it. And uh, I'm gonna be rude and abrasive and aggressive with you. Uh, I can tell her real clearly why she's not getting the money. <laughs> I mean, it's really, really clear. She's got this overblown idea of what her company's worth. We see that a lot. If you've watched Shark Tank a lot, you'll see that a lot on Shark Tank as well, that the entrepreneurs will oftentimes have an overblown expectation of what they can get. The investor will look to lowball what they're putting in, in most cases. And, you know, it becomes an adversarial relationship rather than a true win-win, because if the company is going to be successful, you have to be, everybody has to win. The investor has to win, the entrepreneur has to win, and then you get a bigger and greater win for the marketplace and for uh, for everybody else as a result of two sides winning. If, if one side loses, if you do a win-lose arrangement and becomes a zero-sum game, then one of the people is not gonna have the interest to invest uh, themselves or what they really have to invest in the company. And ultimately, she said, okay, I'll tell you what, I want a million dollars for 5% of the company. That was all she was willing to give. 
Marcus thought once again that was ridiculous. He said, I, why would I be committed to growing this thing for 5% of this company? He knew he wasn't gonna get his money back and what this, uh, this business owner just didn't get just didn't understand is there was she's not going to find somebody that wants to do that because there it's it's so unlikely that they would ever see any value from a deal like that that it's just not going to happen in any case um she uh, came in he asked for 20 percent or 20 uh he asked for 25 percent of the company he said i'll give you the million i'll give you five hundred thousand in a credit line for the company but i want 25 percent he then came down to 20. so from a negotiation tactic perspective it was working but he wasn't feeling very good about it and at the end of the day you want people to feel good about the negotiation you want everybody to feel like they got a deal uh, and that oftentimes just comes in the communication ability right so the aggressiveness uh, just didn't need to be there end of the day they shook hands and left and she just was totally inflexible totally unwilling to move and hence the reason why the episode got cut in half but if you if you're looking for lessons for how not to negotiate with a potential partner here it is it's right there she uh she didn't want it is the you know maybe she came on the television show for the bump that she'd get from being on the show uh that's quite possible and she just she and i think this is basically what she said she said i came in with boundaries and the boundaries were that if she wasn't going to get the million dollars for five percent of the company she wasn't going to take it and she'd take the bump from the tv either way um kind of a waste of time but a good learning experience for us so what they did in this particular episode was they made a shift uh, into another show. And we're gonna take a look at that right now. So the second part of this episode was taking a look at, uh, let's see, what she, because we had the two, when we, when we do two episodes back to back, this is where it gets a little, a uh, little freaky. So the episode switched over to Big Fat Greek Gyro. Okay, so this is the uh, this is the original name of a company that Marcus had worked with before. This actually is not the second episode that we're breaking down. This is the second part of the first episode. So the, the, it became an episode recap, and they went to go check because they had to fill the time, right? <laughs> so they went to go check on a business that Marcus had uh, previously invested in, and it was uh, called Big Fat Greek Gyro. And essentially, this is one of it's a Greek. Uh, restaurant that's uh, like a corner restaurant where they've got they have the shaved meats and that type of stuff uh, so he had put uh, originally he had put three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in for a 55 percent controlling interest and I thought it was interesting that he really made you know made a point of saying that it was a controlling interest because on every episode now he says I'm in total control but as I've mentioned before I think that control probably goes on for a little period of time not forever I could be wrong uh, but with a controlling interest it would go on uh, for the foreseeable future so when he came into this business this was a uh, multi-generational business it was passed down from uh, the grandfather who launched it. Uh, actually, it was the father that launched this one, I believe. Uh, but the boys lost their father. He died when he was 15, or uh, when, the, uh, when the, one of the sons was around 15 years old. So at this point, uh, Marcus comes in to check on the business, see how the business is going. There's two sons, uh, and then there's Mike and Kathleen. So Mike is the new man in Kathleen's life. 
And the whole idea when Marcus had come into this business, big fat Greek gyro, was that it's kind of, you know, I, I think of it as being a cross of those kebab, if you've ever been, like, they don't have them out here in Los Angeles. They, they have them in Australia, when I was over in Australia, they had them in London, I don't see them as much here. Maybe in New York, where they shave the meats off, and they, beautiful restaurants, I really love them. Uh, but the idea was that they would roll them out and uh, roll this one concept out. So when Marcus thinks of franchising businesses, you wanna obviously get the number one location performing at peak levels and then roll it out to other locations in a, uh, in a standardized franchised format so that there's a branded look and feel to everything that happens. So when you go to one, uh, when you have one experience there, you can have the exact same experience someplace else. Um, part of the process that really builds a strong brand. When Marcus had originally come in, not in this episode, but when he originally came in, they were already franchising, but and which is often the case when he looks at these businesses, the, uh, the franchises were not uniform, often the case also when Marcus comes in. But uh, as he came in, he said, okay, these are the things that we're gonna do. That was in another episode. Here, as he came back to look at it, it became clear, he, he made the point of saying that he had invested, since the time he originally invested, he invested another $410,000 uh, in the business in order to bring other locations up to par and, uh, and get those going as well. Um, so he comes in, uh, they, and, and here's, the, here's the issue with this one. I love this, because these are, uh, both of these issues were, uh, or both of these episodes were problem episodes with, that were really interesting, a little different from some of the episodes. There's always problems, right? It's part of the formula, but part of the drama, that's what brings us in. That's, these are the problems we wanna learn how to, how to solve, but these were interesting problems. So Mike and Kathleen, essentially what they were doing is they began to collect franchise fees from the various uh, you know, franchisees that were opening up the different locations. They were collecting the franchise fees. Now they're 45% partners, Marcus has 55. And they were supposed to, the deal that they had was that they were gonna forward his franchise fees, his percentage, over to him. That was his profit, right? So they had the, the main store, but he was supposed to be getting uh, you know, 55% of the franchise fees, which never came. So he goes in to talk to them and they said, oh, our bad sorry, we didn't send you the franchise fees. So we're talking about months of franchise fees that are building up. And uh, basically it sounded like they were just pocketing themselves or those fees were going into cover other expenses and other things that they had. Uh, but it, it shocked Marcus, it took him aback and it would anybody. Uh, and then he starts looking closer at some of these franchises and he's realizing that uh, Mike and Kathleen have basically become non-existent. You know, once they were cut in for 45%, they're not showing up at things. They're not, there were new stores that were opening that they had not even been to. Uh, there were locations they had never looked at. And part of what had to happen, and it might've happened in the, in the episode, the original episode, was that Mike, who was Kathleen's new man that came in, and uh, so the new, uh, I don't know, he's the stepfather of the, of the boys that were helping to work in the franchises, uh, so young kids that were in there and, and launching some of the franchises and stuff. Mike, when he came in, I, I don't know if he's a stepfather or if he's just the new partner of Kathleen, but he was a, a dominant force in what was being created 
created, uh, but apparently uh, people didn't like him a whole lot, and things were too many things were falling through the cracks. So Marcus had insisted that a uh, COO or chief operating officer be hired to come in to keep things uh, in check and to make sure that so many things didn't fall under the cracks, which is uh, which is perfectly within doability. Now Marcus had expected that it would be Mike. He expected that Mike would have done that job, but Mike just wasn't pulling his weight. So he hired the COO, but then at that point, Mike and Kathleen basically disappeared from the businesses. And so Marcus comes back in, he's finding that they're just not there. He doesn't understand why they're not uh, launching, uh, you know, at the, at the grand openings of some of these other franchises. And he's got a great point. You know, his point was what Marcus would have expected would be that these people were out there uh, as and as business owners, I, I remember I used to work at Club Med. I, I worked there for six years, and I was in charge of all the sports activities, in charge of the scuba diving and the horseback riding and the windsurfing and all that. But every day the scuba boat would leave early, so they'd go out at like seven in the morning and they'd take the divers out. And so I would be there to uh, not every day, but <laughs> I knew it was expected of me as the chief of sports to be out there on the dock waving goodbye to the. Uh, divers that were about to go. So you know, it's kind of like you're the first one that arrives at work and you're the last one that leaves. Well, all of the, the, none of that work ethic was present, right? So the, Mike and Kathleen basically disappeared from the business and expected to get a cut for not doing anything because they, they essentially they were looking at what Marcus was doing, expecting to get a cut for 55%, uh, but he did put uh, you know $600,000, I think, into the business at this point, uh, and he was hooking them up. He actually built out all of the franchise locations. So he was doing that. They, had, uh, they said that the moment that they did the first episode, they had over a thousand applications come in uh, for franchises, which is ridiculous. It kind of gives you an idea of the value of just being on the show. Over a thousand applications like that, it's like, wow, that's 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 money, that's gold, right? If they're well taken care of, and we know that an application isn't a sale necessarily, uh, but it's uh, you know a huge amount of interest coming in, and that was brought purely from Marcus. And he said, I expect that you guys work. You have to work if you want to have money, if you want to draw a salary, if you want to share in the profit, uh, we expect that you're working the business, that you're a working owner, um, which they uh, were not doing. So. When all was said and done, I'm going to uh, move a little bit faster here because we still have a whole nother episode to talk about. It's all right. We're doing good. Uh, and just so many learnings here, right? When all uh, was said and done, uh, Marcus had to sit down the parents and the parents of the, the boys, I say, because the boys were working inside the locations. And <laughs> oh, this is the one of the funniest parts was when they didn't send the money, Marcus first sits down just with, uh, with his guy, Mike. And uh, so Mike is the, the, the new man in the picture and uh, the guy that wasn't paying the fees. And Marcus said, uh, you know, you're not sending me the money. You're non-existent in the business. And Mike says, so I'm the bad guy here, huh? He says, I get it. I'm the bad guy. Marcus, is, Marcus says, it's not so much about you being the bad guy. He says, it's about you being a dick. 
<laughs> you know, tell it like it is, right? <laughs> but he was, you know, he just he was not showing up as a charismatic, magnetic leader that people wanted to be, you know, a part of. That they wanted to. He's, he wasn't rolling his sleeves up and getting his hands dirty and jumping in. That's leadership. You go there, you show them how you want them to show up. Instead, he was always criticizing. He'd come in, say, "That's not working. That's not working. That's ugly." And so finally, he sits him down and he he talks to Mike. He talks about potentially buying him out. He said, because you're not being a really good force here within the business. Mike says, no, I want to go for the ride. I want to be here with you. Apparently gets him back on board. And at the end of the episode, they were able to add one thing to the mix, which I thought was really cool. Um, this was Marcus's idea was to add Greek yogurt to what it was that they were uh, providing because in the flagship store as well as in some of the other stores, I'm sure they were looking to uh, roll out the the equality of the revenue that was being generated on a daily basis. Essentially, the flagship store was doing, you know, if possible, I don't know what the other locations were, but the flagship store was doing 1500 a day. And Marcus said, you know what, we really need to raise that up to 2500 a day. And he said, and if we do that, uh, by adding Greek yogurt with the popularity of Greek yogurt these days, I love Greek yogurt. Right, um, and if I love it, it's gotta it's gotta work great. But um, with the popularity of yogurt, he said we could not just get people for lunch because when you think of those kebabs in that type of a, a, a meal, people are going to typically come for lunch. They might come from dinner, uh, but they might miss earlier times in the day. They might miss after lunch, between lunch, after dinner for dessert. And bringing in the Greek yogurt, the idea was that they could bring in additional revenue, hoping to add it with snacks. And dessert and that type of thing, bring it up to the $2,500 a day point. Um, and, you know, that was, uh, I felt like it was a great episode to see some of the challenges that can come up inside businesses. And I, I love Marcus's willingness to write another check. He said, I don't want to write another check. Um, he said, but I'm willing to do it if it impedes the business because the bottom line is, you know, the bottom line. And uh, so uh, it ended up working out all uh, all right in the end. But you can get, we get that it's palpable, the challenge it can be to run all these varying aspects of all these businesses that he's investing in, hence the new episode that's coming up. And Marcus, we'd love to have you too. If you can come on here, I'd love to have you as a guest or even Skype in. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about that and this, and I'd love to chat with you too. Uh, great show. You're doing, you're doing awesome. Love it. Uh, looking forward to the partner as well. Now, Having said that, let's move on to uh, the second episode. We only got a few minutes to break this one down. This is Mr. Green Tea Ice Cream. So this was actually the second episode and the, for, the, for our uh, review here. So this was also a generational business. So when we look at the sons, that was, uh, you know, being brought down from the father, I believe, in the previous episode. And we know from uh, the show that 60% of second generation uh, wealth in business is typically squandered, 90% in third generation wealth. And we get to see some rising problems from that in this particular episode of Mr. Green Tea Ice Cream. By the way, next week, we got two more episodes that we're breaking down and it'll be the end of the third season. We will have caught up. Hallelujah. All right, so Mr. Green Tea Ice Cream. Uh, ice cream store that was founded in 68, and it was founded by the grandfather, passed down to second generation, right? Richard and his wife, Lori, as well as third generation, his son, Michael. And Michael is a dominant force inside the business. And so this is an ice cream store that started out primarily with green tea ice cream, and then they came up with other uh, flavors. So they would sell the ice cream in pints, 
Uh, they were, let's see, they had about $2 million in uh, total revenue uh, coming in. The deal that Marcus cut with these guys was to put 600K in for 30% of the business. Okay, so he put 600K in for 30% of the business. Um, one of the things that they realized, and I, and I believe actually, if I'm not mistaken, um, this, business, this uh, episode was also a, uh, a check-in from a previous, actually it was, <laughs> it was a check-in from a previous episode. So it's kind of a uh, progress report as they like to call them. Yeah, so uh, they were losing money by uh, paying a third-party manufacturer or uh, you don't manufacture ice cream. You do, but it, they call it something different. So they were losing revenue in the previous episode by doing that. Um, the father was gun shy uh, because he did not, Richard, uh, the father, did not want to take on their own uh, production facility. He thought it would cost too much. The son, Michael, was really pushing for it. Uh, but Michael eventually got them to say, yes, the 600 grand that Marcus put in was going to buy this new facility where they'd be able to produce their own ice cream, saving money by cutting out the middleman. Uh, but the problem was it ended up costing 1.3 million instead of 600,000. So here was the first butting of heads between Michael, the son, third generation, and Marcus. And Marcus is like, that was a pretty big mistake. Michael said, I know it won't happen again. He said, yeah, but that's a mistake with my money because he put 1.3 million in, uh, bit the bullet, and that's, that's where they went. Sales doubled uh, to $5 million. So now they're making $5 million after Marcus's contribution and after they were able to put in what they put in. Uh, but we've only got a couple of minutes, so I want to kind of cut to the chase of this episode. And the issue is really uh, that you have the Michael, third generation wealth, combating with the, his parents because his parents didn't want to give him equity in the business, and rightfully so, quite frankly, because he was a bit of a loose cannon. He, he had to mature. It was every issue that I saw that was coming from Michael, he had good ideas, he could drive things, but his the level of maturity that he had, just you, you wouldn't want to give a portion of the business to somebody like that. And there was also a level of entitlement that he had. He expected. Uh, to just be handed the business and he knew someday it would be his and so the parents had had some issues with that and he was also uh, a bit of a loose gun with the costs so he was he didn't care enough he, he didn't have enough underlying respect for the value of the money and that that was the big issue so he, he he'd make a 1.3 million dollar mistake and he began to roll out new flavors uh, without asking anybody about the flavors, without running focus groups, without testing the flavors. Big issue because some of those flavors, there was one that was called, uh, uh, it wasn't poppy seed, it was black, uh, gosh, it'll come to me, it was some, some black seed or something like that. But it just sounded horrific. It's like, who would buy that ice cream? You just wouldn't do it, All right? So. Marcus comes in and he decides to run a focus group with the ice creams. Nobody would listen to, or Michael wouldn't listen to anybody else. They run a focus group. Turns out oh, uh, nobody likes the uh, black ice cream, the seeded ice cream. Uh, so uh, Michael gets to see it from the crowds. There were certain ones. I mean, he came up with one, uh, fortune cookie ice cream. That would be incredible. It sounds great. 
Love the episode. Uh, Marcus was able to help them emotionally, mentally as well uh, to connect, help the young guy to mature. At the end of the day, he wasn't given interest, but he, he was. He was given 5%, but it was vested. If I, It was unclear whether he was just handed the 5% and then he was vested more, or if the 5% was vested. My guess is that they probably vested the 5%, which means that you get your percentage slowly over time as it's earned. Uh, which is always a smart idea to do when you're unsure of the lasting value of the person because otherwise they could just disappear and now they've got 5% of the company for the rest of their life or 10% or 15%. So the vesting of the equity was a, a very smart idea on Marcus's part. And he gave uh, he also gave Mike a couple of chances to really step up and show what he was capable of by bringing them into a potential distrib uh, distribution networks for their uh, ice cream, which he always does uh, once it's ready to go, and that's the most powerful part. That's what Marcus has to bring to the table. You blew it in the first episode that we looked at, right? You, you, you didn't evaluate the true value of what Marcus brings to the table. With that, we got less than a minute left, so I got to say goodbye to you. Remember, uh, you can reach out to me at Chris Howard Live on Twitter and Instagram. You can also go to legendarylivingdaily.com. Register there. I send out a daily tips, motivation, inspiration, insight on your business, uh, legendarylivingtv.com for my YouTube channel, and download the podcast at iTunes for sure uh, so you get all these episodes, and we will see you next week. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.